HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Joined today with Salvatore Rizzo, owner-director of Degustabus Cooking School. Just smiling away. I know, just already got me giggling. <laughs> I, I was going to later explain that your energy and your, your, your exuberance and enthusiasm about things is absolutely contagious, but I've already caught the bug. <laughs> Thank you. Director... Um, owner of Degustibus Cooking School yep. um, in Macy's Herald Square, which is a hall, a place, a space for pantheon of chefs. Absolutely. To 1,100 to be exact. 1,100 chefs. 1,100 chefs. And it's, what, 25? 32 we just 32. celebrated. We're on our 32nd year. Excellent. Founded in 1980. Founded in 1980 by Arlene Feltman-Sack, who was, is the wife of Chef Alain Sack, one of the three founding chefs of the French Culinary Institute. Yeah. Um, and I learned also first person to ever get a four star review from the New York Times. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. He's a big deal. Yeah, he's a he's an icon. He's yeah. wonderful. And she started doing this because she loved dining out. She was a speech pathologist. Yeah, and she just loved dining out. She with a former colleague of hers, they used to rent out the Carnegie Theater on Monday nights <laughs> and like lug in like big ass you know electrical outlets and like hot plates and just invite chefs as just to invite chefs and it just started catching on talk about dinner theater talk, talk about th- she was she was a pioneer yeah that's fantastic um but you you came to become the owner director of degustibus in 2008 yeah 
I mean, Arlene had been running it for years. 28 it, years. It, it was this mecca. It was this kind of unknown mecca, though, too. Within the industry, everybody knows about Absolutely. the Gustabus. But I think outside of that, you know, in the you know, dining population, it, it, it's still, um, it, it's a recent find. Many people, I mean, it's funny. I mean, 32 years and people will still say, I didn't know you were in Macy's. I yeah. didn't know you were in Macy's. <laughs> I'm like... Yeah, we're in Macy's, yeah. all right. We're well, behind ladies' coats, soon to be ladies' swimsuits. Yeah. <laughs> Eighth floor. Eighth floor. Yeah. Eighth yeah. floor. But there's a big uh, transition because Macy's is going through, a f- they, they commenced on a $400 million renovation, and we are finally going to go onto the selling floor in 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it's a awesome. big deal. Demo kitchen, is it going to De- change the space? Um, probably the same space, but it will still be Degustibus, but it's going to be on the selling floor, so it's going to be seen amongst the public and they're going to actually bring up the cellar which is now in the basement up to eight so we'll be adjoined with the cellar which is something that's really important because people you know when they leave the school they're all pumped up and they want to cook and you know who the hell wants to go downstairs in those rickety old elevators yeah. you know to go buy a pot when yeah. you could just walk outside and do it so you know, i like those rickety old escalators what, escalators some yes. wooden, right yeah they yeah. actually i hope they keep them yeah i yeah. kind of like them too me too me too um you've been in food your whole life where did you grow up? Grew up in good old Brooklyn, New York. Right <laughs> where, here. Where in Brooklyn? Actually, I was born in Sunset Park, but we moved. Uh, my family is the Sicilian immigrants. They came here in the early 60s. Um, we moved to Bensonhurst when I, uh, when I was three with yeah. my family. Yeah. And yeah, we. my father had a little garden and grew, I mean, a little patch of land that grew grapes and figs and all the vegetables we slaughtered lambs made wine and like everybody probably thought we were gypsies like from another <laughs> country or some shit like that yeah. it was crazy i mean bensonhurst was a thriving italian community though. very italian yeah. and very jewish yeah and it was and it was funny because the jewish neighbors would look at us like what the hell what's with the lamb what's with the noise <laughs> yeah, yeah that's for passover <laughs> that's for passover exactly <laughs> but you're talking about you know having grapes and making your own wine and uh you had told me that your mother had tomato bushes. And oh, yeah. You'd make your own sauce. Yep. And- Every August, I could not go to the 18th Avenue Feast without sitting in hot in the hot August sun, cutting tomatoes, washing them down, salting them. And we didn't have... I mean, back then, we churned the boiled tomatoes. So imagine in a basement where it's, you know, the humidity is 110%. It's 95 degrees outside. And I am churning and churning and churning. My mother would not let us leave the house. She's like, you want to eat sauce every Sunday? You have to make it with us. Yeah. I mean, not to you know, uh, continue the stereotype of Italians and wife beaters, but when you're in a situation like that, it's the only shirt you can wear. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It was splattered with red. This little skinny little twerp of me. Yeah. Know, I was a tiny little kid, and I'm just sitting there churning, 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 because my older sister and my older brother were working. So it was just my younger sister and I, and my aunt and my mom. Yeah. And my father was working too, so he would help out over the weekends, but we had to do that. So it was a Sicilian way of life. Absolutely. But you know something? I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. It actually really made me... They were the ones who made me appreciate food. Yeah. I mean, you, so you said they were immigrants in the 60s. Um, do you remember Sicily? Did you ever return? Did you ever travel there in your youth? I'm very fortunate because in 1985, I actually... My mom went back for the first time. And I graduated high school and that was my high school present. I was there with my best friend, who still today is my best friend. And we spent six weeks together. My town, 
was known for rabbits and onions, tumbling tumbleweeds. I mean, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> if I could whistle, yeah. that was my town. Yeah. And I just called up my friend and I basically said to him, get me the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> I need to get out of here. There's nothing to do. And we traveled. But now my partner, Gary, who is Sicilian, who owns a tour company, we go every year. So we've been going every year for the last eight years. Are you an East Coast, West Coast, East Coast. guy? Yeah. So uh, I, I was lucky enough to go to Sicily I know. last year. <laughs> so I know how alluring and majestic it is, and you can't get it out of your head. It's, it's pretty amazing. There's something so, I always feel, I always say, when I'm in Sicily, I feel like I'm home. Yeah. Because there's something in my blood that I always knew I needed to go back. Because the, the language is different. It's a dialect. Yeah. I understand it because I grew up with it. Um, but there's something about, there's a warmth about it. I always say the Sicilians have, their their inner warmth is the warmth of the sun. Same thing. I mean, they're very gracious people. They're very accommodating. They want you to come over. They want to feed you. They want to know you. It's fun. They don't necessarily want tourists, though. <laughs> you know, it depends on where you are. Yeah. I mean, yes, because in where I go to Castello Mato del Golfo, that town is very tourist-driven because of the beaches yeah. next to Palermo and all that. However, in my town, you don't see it because we're in the mountains. Yeah. However, there's there's what we're here right now, like a Roberta's in my town. Yeah. Something very unique that you have to know about it to go, but he kind of makes great pizza. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I felt Sicily was. Sicily was uh, this very humbling place because it was about purity of ingredient. But Absolutely. you had to be accepted into a home to understand that. It wasn't, you know, outrovert. It wasn't you know, commercial in the sense that, you know, showing its wealth, it just had that inherent wealth of, you know, good people, good food. And you just had to let, accept that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it seemed like your Brooklyn upbringing was like that as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's all, you know, that's what we grew up with and who we grew up with. I mean, um, what's really, what I found so wonderful was not, my parents never went back. I mean, they came here to work, to raise a family and we didn't have the money to travel but it, when it came down to the point my mom had the money to travel and went back it was really wonderful to see where she was born and and it made me appreciate the love when she walked in that town after being away for 28 years people wanting to meet me wanting to see her i mean we in, in the four days i was there because i left because <laughs> i couldn't stay <laughs> I, I never was invited to so many people's homes. I mean, my, all our days were filled with me working with my mom, meeting all these wonderful people. It was great. Yeah. So appreciation of food, wine, one hospitality. Everybody, it's so funny. Like they'll they'll say everybody has their own dish. So you could have a pasta con sarde everywhere in Sicily, but everybody has their ancestral way of making it yeah and everybody wants you to taste the way they made it <laughs> and they'll comment like oh you had hers mm, hers is not so good you have to try mine or you tried that one yeah don't look over there you want to try mine so it's really quite funny to see yeah so with this appreciation you actually went into the culinary field starting as a busboy. yep we're at circles circles in brooklyn yeah no? yeah that's old school it's old school. i'm actually meeting two of my former waitresses tonight for dinner yeah it's very cool. Can you explain to people where Circles was and what kind of restaurant? Sure. Circles was, um, it's still there, uh, located on 3rd Avenue and 69th Street in Bay Ridge. It was founded, it was created in 1978 by Pierre Salome, Andrea, and John Fay. I can't forget. Um, and they were pioneers. Uh, Andrea and John were a couple. They used to come to Park Slope and meet this guy, Pierre, to have falafel. And nobody knew 
what falafel was and what this round bread was called pita. And they came up with this idea of having a restaurant. It was just them three. And all the sandwiches were circles because they were stuffed in pita bread. And it just grew and grew and grew. I was fortunate because I've always, I loved restaurants and I always wanted to work in a restaurant. My cousin was a florist next door and he got me the job because you could not get a job there. Yeah. So it was fun. And it was just, I worked there for 15 years from when I was high school, college, graduation, part-time job. So, yeah. What positions? I mean, eventually you were the manager. I was the manager. I was a busboy, waiter. And then I was a manager at 19. Yeah. And then from there, just stayed with it, went, became bar, bartender, yeah. manager. It was fun. I never felt like it was work. Yeah. I mean, does it feel like work today? No. Yeah. I have the best job in the world. Yeah. Michael, you see it. I mean, I love what I do. Yeah, exactly. When you go to Degustabis and you see Sal come around the corner, open arms, big smile, you know you come to his home. I mean, it's the same thing about, you know, going to Sicily. That you're inviting people into the home of the Gustavus. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want them to feel comfortable. I mean, people are paying, you know, you're paying $95 to come to a class and you know, you're there for an experience, you're there to learn. But, you know, one thing I always try, I strive on is the hospitality aspect because the format is there. People are going to come, they're going to want to see this noted chef, taste their food, learn from their tips and tricks. But you can elevate it by giving a person an experience and that experience comes from giving them the hospitality and making sure they have these warm greetings and you know the little touches like I changed the chairs because I didn't like sitting on them so I had to buy new chairs because I'm like I can't sit on these chairs for two and a half hours but I got these beautiful chairs that were partnered I partnered with an Italian company and they're comfortable and people like wow thank you yeah I mean you can't you can't buy that yeah so, I mean, like I said, you're inviting someone into your home. So, you yourself have to want to Absolutely. be there. and You have to believe in it, too. Yeah. So, hospitality, you went to the New York College of Technology for restaurant yep. management. And what kind of courses? I mean, what, what kind of structure did you gain from that? Um, it was great to get the... I knew walking in, I did not want to be a, a chef. Even though taking the pastry and culinary courses were important because it made me start appreciating food and how it's made and the ingredients and the effort it takes to make a dish. But having that, having classes like um, about PR and marketing, hotels, front of the house, accounting, cost controls. I mean, all this was all encompassing of what I do today. And it was just, it really gave me a good foundation. I mean, I could have went to Johnson & Wells. I could have went to you know, one of the culinary schools, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to stay in Brooklyn and I wanted to be... I, I still wanted to work at Circles. So I didn't want to lose that job. And I got, a good, I got a great education. Yeah. And that education eventually led to working at the Italian Culinary Institute. Yeah. Well, first the Board of Education. Oh, yeah? What did you do there? I was My first job was I was a school food service manager yeah. in East New York. And then... After a year and a half, I was handpicked out of 450 managers to open up the new Stuyvesant High School, which is in Tribeca, which was great. That was fun. Yeah. Um, and then from there, um, I became a supervisor of a district. And then I was just like, yeah, the politics couldn't take it. Yeah. 
but then so, I left. It's always been this managerial brain, though, um, which is sometimes lacking with chefs. <laughs> well, yes, but yeah. it's also what, what I was missing was why I didn't like the Board of Education because I didn't have that one-to-one interaction and be hospitable. So I was getting more into the politics of a city agency, and what I was yearning was the being in front of that person and this opportunity for the Italian colonists to came out of the blue. I mean, I was helping my brother at his florist in downtown Manhattan and a woman called up, a guy called up and said, I want to order flowers for my wife. I'm like, oh my God, she works at the La Cucina Italiana. I love that magazine. Can I work there? He's like, oh yeah, why don't you give her a call? I love how so far you've gotten all your jobs by being at the your your cousin's florist. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody, there's a florist yeah. in, the, in all our family. It's true. Yeah, I know where I'm hanging out when I'm looking for my next gig. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or if you want roses. Yeah. For cheap. <laughs> so it's cool. And and it, I, they hired me on the spot, and it was fantastic. To, it was a great experience because I wound up getting to meet such wonderful friends that I'm still friends with. But one of my first of three mentors, Nicole Negrin, who now runs and owns Aristocal Cooking School, who was the uh, editor of the magazine and the vice president of the institute. So she kind of gave me a deeper appreciation on Italian food in a whole. Like I was so used to Southern sicilian food calabrese and now she made me experience what frico was and you know the marema region of tuscany and all the stuff that i had no idea you know i just didn't know about it and by working there got me to appreciate it yeah from from regional italian to regional american you then found your way to the illustrious james beard foundation yes, I did. that's where we met actually yeah yeah I was, you know, it was, it was really fortuitous. I mean, I remember when I first met you, and you were just this really wonderful, enthusiastic photographer. I think what got me was the photos. When I saw your photo gallery, and I told you, every time someone comes to the Christmas, my favorite photo is chaos. I yeah. call it chaos <laughs> in Barbara Lynch's uh, kitchen. Yeah, and people, and I have two of them. I have one in my office and one outside the school. Yeah. And I have to have it because I just it reminds me why I love this business. Yeah, me too. Uh, that that's such great iconography and such chaos, like you said. But at the same time, there's such calm about it. It's controlled like, chaos. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can get through it, of and you're excited to take that kind of nuttiness on. But at the James Beard Foundation, you became director of house operations, Shins and events. Yeah, yeah. Which was a great. My second mentor, Edna Morris who, once she came on board after the scandal, you know, after that whole debauchery, <laughs> it was the best thing that ever happened to that foundation. But she came in and she really saw the talents in all of us, Megan as well. I mean, she saw all this in us and she, she basically unified the foundation, but she said, you'll be a director. And one of my, the first big responsibility under that new title was to renovate the kitchen which was a huge undertaking because that kitchen has not been renovated in years and it was just falling apart. And, you know, there was a reputation that the foundation had and it was really lovely to get the support from Viking to do it at that moment and to undertake this operation and close the school and, and close the uh, the foundation, excuse me, and put in a kitchen in a couple of days. In a couple of days. In a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the following year we did the house. And, and the that upstairs, was... upstairs, dining room and... the. the Basement to attic. Yeah. Because that was when um, Susan Ungaro came on, my third mentor. Yeah. Who, again, said, you could do this, and she gave me autonomy. And I closed for three and a half weeks, 
says, what do you need? I said, I just need to be by myself and take control of this. And she made me do it. And it was, it was really well received. It was complete transformation. I mean, it was pretty wild to yeah. see. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come to your current life as director, owner of Degustabus. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. This program was sponsored by White Oak Pastures. The Harris family has lived and farmed White Oak Pastures for 145 years. They are committed to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockingship. Their mission? We take care of the land and the herd, and they take care of us. For more information about their cattle and their farm, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with Salvatore Rizzo, the man behind the Gustavus Cooking School at Macy's Herald Square. Uh, we've talked about your past, but your current position is so befitting of your past and <laughs> of your present my and path. <laughs> of your future. It's like I mean, Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to like battle Voldemort or something yeah. like that. The Gustavus feels like home. It, it is home. Yeah. It's home. Let's talk about the transition because Arlene Sayak had started in 1980. Um, what kind of reputation had she built up? What kind of chefs passed through those doors? I mean, this season alone, Jacques Pepin, John George von Grichten, with his entire family. Yeah. And we're talking wife, son, and daughter in law. David Boulay are three iconics. And then you'll have Peter Hoffman, Mark Fetri. Stephanie Izzard, first time she's ever coming, excited to be there. Um, the guys from Cake Bread Cellars, which, great winery. Um, such a huge, I mean, it's really lovely to see how people are so passionate that they want to be there. They understand the importance of what she built because they truly feel the audience that we have understand and appreciate food and wine. But not only do they understand it, they support it. And by supporting it is they will go on every word that chef says. And if that chef says that you should go to Cowgirl Creamery and get this cheese, they will go out and buy that cheese because that chef said it, because they tasted it in that dish and they want to replicate it. So it's really a sensory experience. But And it's people that really appreciate all of that. And they go support the restaurant. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the chefs support the Gustavus and you. I mean... the of they those do. people that you mentioned, Jacques Pepin, um, David Boulay, and Jean-Georges, there are pictures on the walls of all these guys. And when I say Pantheon, it, it's literally a visual Pantheon. Yep. Because Degustibus is just strewn 
with the most amazing pictures of chefs from their more youthful days, like Jean George's little pinner mustache. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know Danielle Blood uh, looking, you know, <laughs> so skinny and young. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it shows that they've been there throughout. That there's something about the Gustavus that keeps them coming back and keeps them supporting it too, because it's a forum that they don't usually get to share with. That's that's it. That's that's what that's it. Marcus Samuelson said it best. He was on stage and he basically said the reason why Degustus is so important is because it's the forum that chefs like myself could really talk to an audience of people that appreciate the food and wine, my cuisine, my culture, my philosophy, my way of cooking, and it's it's a wonderful place to be. I have to say, and it's and. I, I'm thrilled. I mean, I smile every time I talk about it because I just love what I do. Yeah. So you, you keep on saying classroom. I don't necessarily agree with that <laughs> because this 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 idea of home keeps on coming, you know, up. And I think it's between that. It, it's it's a very comfortable space. It doesn't feel like a lecture hall. I mean, plus you get served dinner and wine, so better than any class I ever took. I know, yeah. and it's great. And I love the wine partners, too. I mean, we've been getting new wine partners, and they're excited because they're showcasing their products. And it's nice to have all these various wine companies coming in and really, uh, like, I'm getting to, like, I, I was never, I didn't know much about French wines. Like, Arlene knows everything. She's yeah. just brilliant. But now with all these new companies, I'm really getting to appreciate and understand the regions and, and just the terroir and just all these companies, these various wineries, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little about the space, the setup? I mean, it, it's a it's a raise. It's like a daze. Um, chef stands there, yep. performs. There are mirrors above, yep. so you can actually see the technique and the Absolutely. work in the pans. Well, it's a, it's a raised stage. Uh, the, the stage is actually 15 feet long. So on the stage, there is all my partner's Mila, um, high-end appliances so there's two five burner stovetops a grill deep fryer four ovens in the back we have a prep kitchen which has uh, another five burner stovetop two ovens the cabinetry and all that has been redone we were actually renovated in august uh and kind of made the little bit more slick the classroom and the it's all row seating and everybody's facing the front and what is good is that then they come in, they enter, they're seated, and we're serving them sparkling wine and amuse, and then we're serving them throughout the courses. So midway through that chef's demonstration, we like to serve that dish because it encourages them to taste a dish while the chef is still demonstrating, reading the recipe to ask more questions. I love that interactivity because it's like you watch a cooking show, like, oh, I only wish I had that dish right now, and you're sitting there drinking whatever Budweiser crappy (laughs) but like here you have the real thing in front of you at the same time as learning how to make that and we're trying to we're trying to encourage the chefs and I always tell the chefs if there's an unusual product or something that you want to share they'll give it to me they'll say Sal pass this around pass this around pass around so when when someone sees fresh tamarind and they snap it and they get that fragrance like oh that's what that is or getting lemongrass or like tasting a really good salt or seeing like lava salt or anything and anything that really interests well, I love passing around olive oils because a lot of people you know there's different tastes in different regions you know what's what's more peppery what's more fruity so it's really nice to get that sensory experience or for the audience now I mean we we can go on and on about which chefs you've had and you know uh, how luminous that is 
do you remember some of your favorite dishes, your favorite tips, your favorite techniques throughout the years? God, there were so many. My God. Ar- Arlene did a book. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, 25th anniversary that she won an award on. Um, just recently, oh God, I can't even... You know, everybody's so unique. Um, it always amazes me when I see a chef, like when I watch them butcher, or I watch them... Like, I remember seeing a chef take two metal bowls, put garlic in it to shake it so it separates the cloves. Yeah, like I, I mean, it's silly, but it's not. It's kind of fun. People are intrigued by that. Or I'm always. Everybody's very fascinated when it comes when there's molecular gastronomy involved and seeing chefs work with agar agar or xanthan gum, watching sous vide cookery. I mean, there's an audience for that, but it's always fascinating because it's still science and people like to see that as well because it's something that they normally wouldn't do but they like to watch to do it well i mean it's the whole idea of an educated consumer is the better you know so same thing with a patron a chef probably wants to be transparent in that sense absolutely but it's good to see for the chef to see what they're doing because they see it in their restaurants i mean i always say we do these wonderful classes called on location classes and the on location classes when we actually take them to the chef's restaurants and i always tell the chef what's such a great part of this series that we do is because the mouth of one is the mouth of a hundred and when they see your kitchen spotless and are cooking in the kitchen and bringing people in there because they have those bragging rights to say i cooked with (laughs) so and so in his kitchen it's just the word of mouth spreads and i encourage my my guest my audience to make sure that they go to the restaurant and call out the chef say i was at your degustus class i'd love to say to tell you I'm here and to say thank you for such a great class. That's why I'm here. Yeah. The chefs love it. Who do you have coming up on location? Oh, God. Uh, first one is Morimoto. Wow. Larry Finn. Yeah. Uh, we're going to Iolo. Have you been to Iolo? No. It's no. in Chelsea. It's a Sicilian restaurant. Yeah. And she's lovely. Melissa uh, Muller-Dacker. Um, she's fantastic. Hung Hyun. Yeah. Catch. Fantastic restaurant. He's he, That man is just kicking Ass. That restaurant is so busy, and his food is stunning. Lawrence Knapp at the Hurricane Club. Yeah. And we're going to end the season at the 21 Club. Oh, nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Like, I've never been. Really? I've never been. I went for a friend's wedding once and got really? to sit downstairs in the special room. That's where I want to go. Oh, it's so That's cool. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta go. It's, it's a little wine cave, like, and you have to go through, you know, past all the walk-ins and down into the basement. But it's where supposedly, like, LaGuardia and other mayors of New York pretty much did all their dealings. It's, it's a really, really cool spot. Well, I had the dealings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, of, one of the crazier, you know, places to dine in New York. That, that's awesome. All the on-locations. Um, favorite dishes that have been served at Degustabus? I can tell you one of the dishes that I, I remember was John George's dish last June when he did almost a tuna spaghetti which he had this pristine, pristine tuna that he cut into spaghetti strands with um, Asian, uh, like with yuzu and soy sauce. I mean, truly stellar. Um, Dan Silverman's roasted chicken over sourdough. That was a really good one. Yeah, he's the chef at The Standard. He's the chef at The Standard. Missy Robin's sea urchin was another good one. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because there's so many such great dishes. And... 
you tend to forget because, I mean, there's, there's so many that stand out and I save all the recipe booklets and I have an archive of them. And it's so nice to go back and look and like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Or go look at my Facebook page and look at the dishes that we take and the little commentary that I do because it's really quite stunning to actually relive that moment. Yeah. Which I love. So you need those pictures on the wall. You know, that's not a bad idea. That's something we should discuss. That's actually a great... That's a Well, hopefully with the new space, I'll have a little bit more video. Yeah. Well, can I mention the video too? The tips and techniques are sure. on the website. They're on the website. Yeah. I kind of halted doing it. I have to go back to do yeah. it. Um, it was a fun little thing that we did when I first started that I had every chef give me a tip or trick. Jim Leahy was the best. I mean, Jim Leahy, the character that he is... You know, doesn't take anything seriously. Playing Madonna, like before he came up. And I said, all right, Jim, we have to take five minutes. Let's do this. And he gets on air. And I said, okay, Jim, what's your tip a trick? And he looks at me and goes, my tip is when you're in a hot kitchen, drink a lot of San Pellegrino. <laughs> and that was his tip. And I was like. It's a good It's a good one. I mean, it's, it's a good true. One. Yeah. Completely agree. So with all these chefs coming to you, where do you go out to eat in New York? Wow. Um, I try to hit as many restaurants I can that come that season. So up this season, I'm going to try to go to as many restaurants as I can. A lot of my go-to places, like I love Lartuzzi. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Well, you have Joe Campanelli. Joe Campanelli's coming, yeah. but Gabe and his wife, Catherine, are dear friends. Yeah. And I I just love his food. Me too. I really do. Harold Dieterle, I mean, Kinshop. It's, it's such a great restaurant. I mean, he's just brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's real. And But then again, I'll go to this one little place in our neighborhood called Koba. Um, and it's a Vietnamese restaurant. He, he um, Stephen is the owner and he founded Nam and Oh My. But just, it just, it's just a really great comfort food place. You know, I love going to Aben Arthur's too. I mean, they, and, and Catch. I mean, it's, it's my name because you know, you always tend to go to your neighborhood. Yeah. Donatella has great pizza. Yeah. I mean, she's got, we went there on Friday night. But I try to go to so many places. I mean, I try to support the restaurants. But Yeah, what about Gargiulo's? Can I tell you? <laughs> I love Gargiulo's. Yeah, you're the one that told me about that years ago. It's fun. Have you had their artichoke pasta? No. Their artichoke. That's why I go. My family, it's so very good, fellas. Yeah. My brother-in-law is... Fr- my brother-in-law's... Is it on Surf Ave? Is it... It's on Surf Ave. Yeah. They own the entire city street. They own that entire yeah, block because that's that's Coney right there. That's right? Coney yeah. right there, and they we we hold all our family parties, any post funerals. We have dinner there. I mean, it's it's that's our family go to place. Yeah, because my brother in law, my family, and my brother are very close with them. They're such good people, the brothers. But let me tell you, Michael, I've been in that kitchen when that restaurant was packed. The private dining rooms were packed, and the catering was packed. And let me tell you, I've never seen a more spotless kitchen. Yeah. Spotless. Yeah. And that's how I determine a good restaurant. Yeah. And they make such good... They make great food. I mean, they're just... That artichoke... I mean, you know what you're going there for. You're not going there for decor. You're going there for the food. Yeah. I mean, there aren't those types of restaurants in New York anymore. No. So, I mean, these bastions, these, these relics of the past that can do this day in, day out, and still survive. Yeah, I, I commend that. So, But look at Carlo. Yeah. I mean, look at where we're here right now. I mean, I'm dying to come here because here's this Italian that came into Brooklyn in this very undescript neighborhood and created this phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, 
I want to like shine the guy's shoes. Are yeah. you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, what he did and what I'm looking at right outside the walls is just it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Roberta's is definitely an oasis. It's an oasis. It's 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 amazing. I mean, walking in here, I was blown away. Yeah. So uh restaurant tours, chefs better watch out when Sal's walking into your <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> Check and see if it's spotless. Never kiss and tell. Yeah. <laughs> Never kiss and tell. The importance of cooking classes. I can't stress this enough. The education, the understanding, the foundation. Um, the Gustavus is such a wonderful spot to go because unlike going to culinary school, this is a place where you can go learn the specifics about the restaurant, about the chef. It's, it's, it's that fantastic one-off. So it's not, you know, jumping in feet first. Yep. Ease yourself in, you'll get hooked. I think it's great yeah. just for anybody who really loves to. I mean, if you love watching cooking shows, go one up. Yeah. You know, just be in front of an audience and just, you know, be part of that audience and eat that food and, and support that restaurant and cook for the recipes. That's what that's the joy of Degustavus. And I have to say it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's more than pretty cool. I'm watching you smile. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. happy. Yeah. <laughs> and so everybody's gotta go meet Sal. <laughs> Well, thank you. TheGustabusNYC.com, 8th floor, Macy's Herald Square, soon to be behind the women's swimsuits. Well, yes, yeah, soon to be behind. Women's swimsuits going to change in like a month. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate it. Yeah. This was great. Yeah, excellent. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. 